And if you would, please turn in your Bibles to Ruth chapter 2. Ruth chapter 2. We're continuing our, our series uh, on an overview of the book of Ruth. And uh, I'll be reading all the verses of Ruth chapter 2. So hear the word of the Lord. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went ahead and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She had brought out and gave her what food she had and left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth, said, Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. 
And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with these young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and honoring in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray, amen. Now usually when I start preaching, it's about uh, 11.15. Uh, we're at about 11.40 this morning, and I was anticipating that. So, um, but I think it is very important for us to read the entire passage of Scripture that we're going through. Uh, scripture is so important. If we just read Scripture and then I sat down, uh, that would be better. <laughs> um, because uh, Scripture is God's Word. It's God-breathed. Uh, it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Uh, we need to hear from the Word of God. It is very important. So, um, I have three points this morning. Uh, Last week we talked about love, this chesed love that God has for us, that he displays in the book of Ruth. Um, And we're going to see how this chesed love is displayed in three characters uh, in chapter 2 this morning. First, we're going to look at chesed love. This love in the character of Ruth. And what we learn from Ruth about love is that love involves death. Love involves a dying. But through death, there is resurrection. So love involves dying, but dying leads to resurrection. Without death, there is no resurrection. If you notice throughout this chapter, and also we saw previously in chapter 1, the love of Ruth that she has for her mother-in-law helps her to die to her future. Ruth follows Naomi to Israel. She gives up her past for an uncertain future in a land that she probably has never been to, caring for her mother-in-law, Uh, amongst people where she is a foreigner, a God that she is not aware of. These laws, these customs that these Jews have, she is just, uh, she is a stranger in a strange land. And because of the love that she has for Naomi, she sacrifices, she puts to death her future. Um, The love of Ruth helps her to die. Not only is she in a strange land, But as Naomi told her in chapter 1, there's no hope for Ruth. Naomi doesn't have another son that can, in a sense, redeem Ruth. She doesn't have any chance to to give offspring to her. And so, most likely, Ruth is coming at this from the perspective that she is going to be taking care of her mother-in-law until her mother-in-law dies. And that's what life is going to be like. It's a bleak future, where once she thought about having children, raising a family, having a husband, 
Now she is left caring for her mother-in-law. Not only does she die to her future, but as we see in Ruth chapter 2, we see Ruth, the love that Ruth has dying to her own comfort. She goes out and she gleans in the field. And Ruth didn't know where she was going. She didn't know who she would encounter. She didn't know what she was, uh, she was up for. She's putting herself out there. She's simply relying on the kindness of strangers. She didn't know if she would find favor or if she would be taken advantage of. She is a stranger. She is a foreigner amongst these Jews. It would be very easy for them uh, to neglect her, to shun her, um, to even to take advantage of her. And this is what she's doing. She's putting herself out there for the sake of Naomi. And for the love that she has for her mother-in-law, she dies to her own sense of comfort. She sets aside her fears, and she goes out to glean. So in love, there is this inherent sense of dying. It has dying embedded in it. And I know that sounds a little morbid, but it's actually quite true. For any act of love, there is a death to self that occurs. Just think of the story that Jesus tells in the New Testament about the Good Samaritan. It's in Luke chapter 10. We're going to get to it uh, uh, in a few, uh, few weeks probably. Where a lawyer comes and asks Jesus, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds with the two greatest commandments. He says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And as any good lawyer does, he asks a follow-up question. He says, well, who is my neighbor? And so Jesus responds with this parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus tells this story of how to demonstrate love to our neighbors. And you probably know the story. It's a man who is traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's a dangerous road. And he was attacked by robbers and left for dead. A priest and a Levi come by. They see him, but they pass by on the other side of the road. Then a Samaritan comes by, a foreigner, someone who did not associate with Jews. He came by, he had compassion on this man, and he cared for him. He even went so far as to take him to an inn and pay for his caretaking. So the Samaritan shows love to his neighbor, and in that love, he experiences a sort of death, a dying to self. He put to death his personal cares and concerns to help a complete stranger. He puts to death uh, societal stigmas, racial prejudices. He puts to death his own finances by handing them over for this man's care. In short, he loves this man. And when we love, we experience a bit of death as well. And this is not a bad thing. In fact, it's a very good thing. When you think of marriage, and you have these vows that you share with one another, and don't take this the wrong way, but there is a, a, a death that is involved in this act of marriage. Because we put to death ourselves. 
and we vow, we pledge ourselves to the other person. We put down our own pride, and instead we pledge our love to another person. But death is not the end of the story. It never is when God is concerned. Because after death comes resurrection. You know, we've only made it, this is only the second chapter of the book of Ruth. And I don't want to give away the end of the story. Many of you probably know the end of the story. Um, And we haven't seen the full resurrection of Ruth yet. But she experiences a mini-resurrection when she finds herself in the fields of Boaz. And later on, we'll see that God completes her resurrection through Boaz, who is her kinsman, Redeemer. 1 Peter 5, verses 6 and 7 says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. So love involves death. It involves a dying of self. And Ruth demonstrates that love. And we know that death also leads to resurrection. Boaz also demonstrates love. And he loves through a demonstration of his provision and his protection of Ruth. So when Boaz arrives on the scene, he immediately notices Ruth. I don't know if he is a typical man and he sees Ruth who is attractive, or I don't know if he notices her because he can tell that she is a Moabitess. Um, We're not told, but he immediately notices her. And when when he finds out what she has done for his mother-in-law, for her mother-in-law, he's impressed, uh, to say the least. And so he tells Ruth not to go anywhere else, don't to go to another field, but to stay here among his young women. He tells his young men not to touch Ruth, not to take advantage of her. He lets Ruth have a drink from, uh, with the other workers anytime she wants to. He invites her to eat with them, and she is given more than she could possibly need. He even ordered his workers to pull out some of the grain for her to make it easy for her to glean, that she wouldn't have to work so hard uh, to make it possible for her to get enough. And she has more than she needs. The love of Boaz that he shows, shows that he is a man of character. Paul Miller, in his book, A Loving Life, uh, as he, he goes through the book of Ruth, says that a real test of a man's character is in how he treats women. And we see here, as it says in uh, Ruth 2, verse 1, that Boaz is a worthy man. He is a worthy man. And men, like Boaz, we are called to be worthy men, to be men of character. And our character is reflected to a large degree in how we treat women. You know, it's not always popular to be chivalrous today, Uh, But when did God ever call us to do that which was popular? He never does. Um, As men, we need to raise our sons to be men of character. And we need to model it for them. Uh, This past week, I had the the honor and the privilege of having a lunch date uh, with my uh, son, Oliver. It was a great time. 
We, uh, we went to Papito's in Jacksonville. Uh, I went there because Oliver loves chips and salsa, and so we get unlimited chips and salsa at a Mexican restaurant. It was great. Um, but as we were leaving that dinner, uh, there was women who were coming out after us. And, and what we did is that Oliver and I both together held the door open for these three women who were coming out. And as most women do, they thought it was the cutest thing to see a little four-year-old holding the door open for them. It was great. Um, we are trying to raise our sons to be men of character, um, to, to be as Boaz is called here, to be worthy men. Um, in our house, we call boys knights and girls princesses. Uh, does this mean that, that girls are weak and need to be saved by a knight? Uh, no. Uh, does that mean that boys need to be these aggressive fighters? No. But we raise our boys to be protectors of women. We raise them so that they would treasure women. And a man's character is revealed in how he treats women. And men, to be men of character, to be worthy men, it involves a dying to self, like Ruth did, like Christ did. That famous passage in Philippians chapter 2 where Christ dies to self when he leaves his position in heaven so that he could come to earth to be like us. He humbles himself and takes on the nature of a servant. A, humble man, a worthy man humbles himself like Christ to protect and to provide for those around him. A worthy man is able to humble himself because Christ humbled himself first. In order to be a worthy man, you have to be, first of all, safe and secure in the arms of Christ. And when you are convinced that all you need is in Christ because of what He has done for you, humbling yourselves and placing others' needs above your own is not that big of a deal. Because we can say, I am fine. I have all I need in Christ. So, we've seen love displayed in Ruth. That love has this sense of dying to it, and dying leads to resurrection. We've seen love in Boaz, in his protection, his provision of Ruth, and of how he treats women. Uh, and finally, we see the love of God. And we see this love most clearly displayed in this chapter throughout the turn of just one little phrase that we see at the beginning of this chapter. So Ruth sent out, set out, and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, which was of the clans of Elimelech. In that statement, we see the love of God. Because we know that Scripture says, Ruth happened to come to the field. But we know what really happened. We know the behind the scenes. If we could pull away the curtain, we see who is guiding and directing Ruth's steps. It's the Lord. She didn't just happen to come there. God directed her towards there. In our catechism, the Westminster question and answer 11, we read this. What are God's works of providence? Because this is God's providence that is being displayed here. It says, God's works of providence are 
His most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. As I was growing up, um, I was taught not the Westminster, but the Heidelberg Catechism. And the Heidelberg Catechism in question and answer 27 uh, goes a little bit further when it talks about the providence of God. It says, what do you understand by the providence of God? And the answer is, God's providence is His almighty and ever-present power, whereby, as with His hand, He still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed, all things come to us not by chance. Not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. So Ruth isn't lucky in this circumstance. She isn't, it isn't just by chance that she comes across a field and it's Boaz's field. She isn't uh, fortunate that Boaz is a worthy man and it treats her well. In fact, luck has nothing to do with this. Luck has nothing to do with it. These things happen to Ruth, and they don't come to her by chance, but by God's fatherly hand. Uh, if you remember, uh, Audrey and Justin Tyner, uh, they, they spent some time here not too long ago. They are now off in Arizona. And um, if you uh, were able to hear the story of how they met, it's a great story because it shows God's providence. He grew up in Minnesota. She grew up in Arizona. That's a long ways away. How are people like that going to meet and become married? Well, it turns out that Justin went into the military. He went to the uh, Air Force Academy, Colorado. And while he was there, as it would happen, as the Bible says, um, he had a friend, a friend who grew up in Arizona. And one time on vacation, he travels with this friend to Arizona to spend some time over the holidays with him. And while he is there, who would he meet but Audrey? They met. They got to know each other over a long-distance relationship and uh, eventually got married. Was that chance that that happened? Was that just a, a set of lucky circumstances? Of course not. We need to give the credit where the credit is due because God is the one who is governing all his creatures and all their actions. How did J.C. and Caitlin end up in the family that they did? How did they end up with parents who are believers? Was it pure chance? No. It's God's providence. That's how he works. And it boils down to what worldview do we have? From what perspective do we see the world around us? Do we see it from a perspective of God's sovereignty? That he is working out all things? Do we see the world from the standpoint that God is in complete and utter control? That nothing, nothing happens outside of his jurisdiction. That nothing ever surprises God. God never wonders how things will play out. If we approach life from the perspective that God is sovereign and works all things out through his providence, then where does that leave us? It leaves us with the ability to live life without fear, to live life loving others. 
because we know that God is loving us and He is upholding us and the entire universe. And like Boaz, He will always protect, He will always provide. That doesn't mean that life is going to be a walk in the park. It doesn't mean that we'll never struggle. But through Christ, God has provided the means for our ultimate provision and our ultimate protection. And He is protecting us for eternity. So in conclusion, we see these different aspects of love. We see in Ruth that love is a dying of self. And through this dying to self, the Lord will raise us up through resurrection. To love means to provide and to protect. To put others' needs above our own. And we see that the love of God is shown by His upholding all of His creation. All of His creation by His fatherly hand. And He is calling us to know His love and to abide in it. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we praise You. We thank You for the love that You have for us that is shown in Your providence that You are working out all things for Your glory, that You are upholding all the universe by Your fatherly hand. And we thank You that we can trust that You are working and working it all out for good. I pray that we would live life without fear. That we would live life loving others. That we would live life dying to self and allowing you to be the one who raises us up. Help us, Lord, to put others' needs above our own. Not because we are good people, but because of what you have done for us through your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you and we praise you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.